It's Wednesday, April 26th, and this is Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org. I'm David Colosi, and today I'm talking with Mark Mothersbaugh, whose exhibition Myopia opened uh, last night at the Gray Art Gallery at New York University. And it's a huge exhibition of a lot of stuff you've done over the years. Uh, Visual art, uh, a lot of music stuff, documenting Devo, um, even some film scores, all sorts of things. Uh, And this is the fifth venue that it's been at? Yeah, and the final. And the final. Yeah. You're sure about that? Is anyone Uh, else interested? Yeah, because I've been making new stuff the whole time, so now I... Now we move on. Ready for the new But it was kind of nice to have a retrospective. I never yeah. thought it was going to happen. Yeah. Well, that was, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. You know, this, this show starts with some of your early, like, high school journals almost, and then goes up to some maybe high school or after that, and later, you know, really recent work. Uh, so it kind of shows the evolu- evolution of your work, but your work's been about de-evolution. So is <laughs> Yes, that that became <laughs> that became a descriptive title yeah. in in observing the planet from um, this location that we, that I was at, which was um, Akron, Ohio. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, we um, uh, we were a group of of artists at uh, Kent State, and we're we're there protesting the war when they shot and killed a bunch of kids, and and we just were trying to put a handle on what we were observing and and that that we decided that's what it, what it was we were just uh, observing the evolution on the planet yeah yeah and uh, i think if i remember they closed the school and that's when you and jerry casal had a lot of time to sort of play around and <laughs> figure things yeah, out yeah um we <clears throat> were both uh we were artists visual artists first but um we were also uh he was in a blues band mm-hmm. playing bass, and I, I was kind of more doing more experimental things with uh, electronic instruments. And um, so we started doing things together, and um, we liked the we liked uh, what the collaboration was producing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you like um, sort of instruments that sort of fail or sort of break, um, and that sort of. Or I think there was a keyboard you had that was just kind of too perfect, so you broke the F-sharp key or something. Um, um, oh, we were always looking for um, other sounds and other other methods of making sounds other than just the things that you could buy at a music store. So, yeah. So, there, yeah, there was a, an, an old ARP Odyssey that we had, and, and somebody had dropped it, and two keys were stuck together, and so... Uh, when when we were writing um, the song Gates of Steel, I, I did mm-hmm. use that double note as part of the the sound yeah. for that song. And so then uh, my youngest brother Jim, who was um, in charge of of circuit bending all our gear, he he had to make he went on tour with us, and he had to make sure that uh, the thing always stayed broken. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that's another thing that um, I mean, your work it has a lot of there's an element of chance in it and accident and um, really openness to, um, like, mistakes in the right direction. Um, and, but then on the other hand, there's a, there's a real kind of control. With, with Diva, there's control. Also, um, I imagine with the beautiful mutant portraits, um, there's a certain kind of thing you have in mind and you put together. Um, so that sort of balance of sort of control and openness to chance uh, or improvisation and scripted work, is that, how important is that balance to you? Or when do you say this is too much of one or the other? Uh, you know, it's, it's like, I think it's, it's like as an artist, you're, you're, you're always just looking at the world from different places, and what what got me there? Well, I, I think if you're talking about maybe Devo more specifically, and and I think that um, there were some of the guys in the band that were that was their responsibility is to make sure that our songs sounded like a machine. Mm-hmm. But then I always was this other character who 
who was kind of the agent of chaos. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, so it's like um, that's what kind of, of made it sound more. I, I think it, it by having that that framework to work over top of that was structured. It gave me more freedom, mm-hmm. and um, so that was that was something that that we always looked to balance out. My interest in chaos, I think, started early with um, uh, just accidentally ending, uh, attending a, a speaking in tongues. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, it was a recruitment center, I uh-huh. think. Uh, and, but it was, it was really impressive for me to hear someone speak something in, in, a, in the English language that I understood and then have someone else jump up in a, in a, it was a big room, it was like 300 people, and someone else jumped up in the audience and interpreted it, mm-hmm. and then uh, someone jumped up and, and said something in a, I'm sorry, said something in like an alien tongue, right. and then uh, someone else jumped up and would interpret that, and then <laughs> someone else would stand up and they had a whole different alien language that was, and it was all kind of, for them, it was about surrendering the intellect to the spirit, and and there was something intriguing about that to me because I, I always felt like science really didn't have all the answers. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it, their science is always looking for things, but they're always it's always disproving itself too. Mm-hmm. And uh, religion was in my life, although I I was a church organist at one time, it never really, it was never really that fulfilling when when you ask concrete questions, you know, you, mm-hmm. your answers were all about, um, uh, they were all faith-based, the answers, and, and um, I just felt like there were these two areas that, that neither of them were sufficient to help us figure out why we're all here, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of liked exploring both of them at the same time. And, and speaking in tongues then, why, why I really was uh, intrigued with it is because, um, you know, early on we're told we only use, what, 12% of our brain, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, That's yeah. like the maximum amount of, yeah. and probably most of us are using like 1%. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. but so, you know, I, I, I had this image in my mind that the other 88% of the brain was like the part that was getting to do everything cool and interesting because right. I, I knew that because <laughs> yeah. when I was a kid I'm like well I know that this 10% isn't getting to do it it's like painting apartments and like yeah, yeah. has a crappy car <clears throat> that I can't keep running for longer than uh, a week at a time and needs breaks and I have to put my foot out right. the door to help stop yeah. it and so you shut off that 10% and turned on the other so 90. I was trying to figure <laughs> out how to get in there yeah and, and so so after after Listening to people speak in tongues at this yeah. event, I, I started paying attention to like. I, I worked in downtown uh, Akron, and I was a, a apartment building manager. And I, I when I was walking uh, back home after work, I, if, if I heard some homeless person ranting, I yeah. would like slow down and kind of pay attention yeah. and see if there was anything. Yeah. Well, now the beauty is you'd never get anywhere because everyone's on their phone or with earbuds just ranting about something. You'd you'd stop every second on the street. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Speaking in tongues, I've witnessed that, too. And it's it's quite an experience, especially when it kind of takes over the the body too, (laughs) the body and the tongue. (laughs) Um, So with with the visual work, um, you were saying with with the band, you were sort of the element of chaos with the visual work when you're alone. Is it just pure chaos, or is it? <laughs> is uh, there some? I mean, I, the, the carpets seem, you know, sort of controlled and. Um, the, uh, in a yes, sense, but yeah. those came from. You saw the the, the and, image bank, all the books. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that was something that was, I don't know. I started. I got interested in mail art, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which was a big thing. There was no, you know, you, there were, nobody had computers back in the, except for schools or institutions. Yeah had computers in the late 60s or early 70s. But artists, there, were, there was a large contingency of artists that, that liked, to, liked to mail things to each other. And 
I liked being a part of that because I found that you could be just a nobody from Ohio. Yeah. <clears throat> nobody knew who I was, and I yeah. could send something to Robert Indiana mm -hmm. or or Ray Johnson yeah. or Irene Dogmatic, or and there was a good chance that some, one of those people would write something back to you, and mm -hmm. it was kind of that was kind of a validation, you know. Yeah. Did they write back? Did a few yeah. of them write back? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it looks like I think there are like thirty thousand cards or something in the show. So, if yeah. you, if these are the ones you have, how many did you send? I mean, were well, there I sent another them for thirty thousand before. That went you know, for a number of years before I realized <laughs> that I was, you know, we were, we early on, like after, after nineteen seventy, pretty soon after that, we formed this idea of de-evolution and the. Art Devo, mm -hmm. and we thought we were going to be an art movement. Mm -hmm. We didn't really think of ourselves as a band. We thought we were a multimedia um, agitprop group. Uh -huh. uh, and and uh, so so we were sending things out, mm -hmm. and then I started realizing I was sending what could be lyrics for a song. Yeah, on a card or or artwork that maybe could be a a poster for if. Devo ever finally tricked some bar owner into letting right. us play in, in, in the yeah. uh, Summit County area. Right. Uh, and so I stopped sending them out, and I had been a stamp collector when I was a kid, uh -huh. so I, I, had, I knew that you could go buy these red binders that were archival. Oh, right, yeah. And um, they were inexpensive. They were a couple bucks a piece, and they, were, they would hold 100 cards exactly. So I'd get a stack of them, you know, yeah on my dresser and finally go okay I better file them away <laughs> so I did and I that organized them for me so yeah. starting in about 1972 I started keeping that stuff uh -huh. and um yeah. did you know, you I'm like 400 and some books like that I yeah just, just through the years that's yeah did you keep them in in with the idea that maybe a show like this would would come up was a show like this this five this city was traveling a, tour was it a surprise to you or were you like it's kind of what i'm working, working for all this, these years this show i i didn't really expect it to happen in my lifetime to be honest with mm -hmm. you and i didn't even think it, w it would really happen uh it was because uh i kind of you know i i you know we Devo was this art band, you know, at it, 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 it the worst, that's what you could call us, mm -hmm. an art band. <laughs> and we were probably better than that We were because we were all great artists yeah. uh, within our own rights and, and you know, um, kind of anticipated things like MTV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were, we were hoping it was going to be more interesting than it turned out to be, but, mm -hmm. but uh, we anticipated that kind of stuff. And, and I just, I, when we signed a record deal, um, you know, I I met Richard Branson, and he had signed mm -hmm. the Sex Pistols, who were my favorite band at the time, and and he was about this. We were all in our you know mid twenties, early twenties, and and he seemed like a cool guy, and yeah. I we hung out a little bit, and and I I stayed at his houseboat on the Thames when I was getting sued at one time mm -hmm. by Warner Brothers because because he had talked us into signing with his right. label for for Europe. And um, why am I telling you that? Uh, <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah. And did he also try to make Johnny oh, okay. Rotten the lead singer or something? Or oh, one yeah. Of the, there was, what, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a, that's that a weird been story. That would have been a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like in, in the process of, of meeting these people from Warner Brothers and from Virgin Records, I just kind of, I kind of, didn't want that to happen to my visual arts, and so yeah. I avoided signing with galleries because I, because uh, I knew people that were <clears throat> that owned galleries mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, and I knew people who were signed to him and said, "Yeah, he stole all the money from the show." He's, yeah, and I just thought I I don't want to be in that. I'm in that world already. Yeah, that's I'm what not the music let my, industry did. So <laughs> I did. My art was, for me, it was private, and these red books I, st I was starting to accumulate. Mm -hmm. By then, I had 25 or 30 or 5 or something. Yeah. And they were like, a, a, like a, a source for images and for lyrics. 
things like you know design artwork for for freedom of choice and mm-hmm. uh the art you know cure we not men things mm-hmm. like that they all came from from these image collections yeah and um so the carpets came from that too the carpets came from the postcard images yeah oh, the, too. so yeah. the carpets came. They, they just, they just then, became yeah. that 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 was that was like then like 25 years later but uh-huh. but but i but i i just did shows i i I was doing shows with small street galleries just because mm-hmm. I felt more of an affinity with those people than when I walked into like a big New York gallery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I felt like the people that owned the, the, gal- the little galleries were really genuine and they mm-hmm. were, they still had a love of art, you know, the curious. way I did when yeah. I was a kid. I, I, you know, I'd meet these guys and they were just out of college and, you know, and and they were going to show everybody in uh, in uh, Wichita that that mm-hmm. they had some of the best artists in Wichita. There's people there that are artists that were just as good as you know, like Banksy or yeah. or Shepherd Ferry or something. They, right. they wanted to show everybody that they had really great. But you know, they they wouldn't have any money, but they'd have a some some space somewhere. And and so I, I just kind of felt an affinity with that kind of. That kind of thinking, and and, mm-hmm. and it helped me. And it, it, and then when I was in a world where I was doing movies in Hollywood, it was a way I could be in this other world. Then for the other half of the day, I could I could be hanging out with people that really loved art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you sort of answered another question I was gonna I was had was with art galleries and stuff like that. Like from your experiences in the music industry. It sounds like what you were just saying is that's how, why you avoided those art galleries, yeah. which and you had the it's really film was, work you know. to sort of allow you that freedom to be like, well, I don't really want to make a financial career in the gallery world. Um, yeah, it, it kept me from having to make those decisions of of should I, you know, because the other thing I didn't like about galleries is like friends of mine would get a show and if they sold something then they had to keep making that kind of art yeah, again yeah, yeah. over and over again <laughs> make 20 more and 50 more. i didn't want to have any of that kind of pressure on me i wanted to do what i what yeah and and the postcards that are in that show you saw oftentimes i just woke up in the middle of the night after having a, a strange dream or nightmare uh-huh. or something and just drawing it down and i and i used to like to i've gone through big periods where i just start drawing without knowing what i'm going to draw yeah. and it just happens and then yeah i just kind of go with it keep going yeah 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 that's that element of chance too um and that with the carpets you have videos with them um yeah how did you what was that decision about like mm. let's see I'm gonna throw well the carpets on. how they ended up uh in the show even is um when i i have this um studio recording studio that's kind of an art studio too mm-hmm. on uh, sunset boulevard and um so i i made this logo i tried to make it look like a an east year east german uh appliance kitchen appliance logo mm-hmm. and, and and i didn't want want people to think of devo or my name so i called it mutato musica uh-huh. and um so i made a rug uh, there was a place where when i'm when I was getting the sign made for the for the doorway, so people would know where they were, mm-hmm. I found out you could oh you could get a a nylon rug at the same time. So yeah. I so I made one, <laughs> and like after walking on it for ten years, it still looked pretty good. <laughs> and so I was I'd been to all these little galleries. I did like a hundred and forty or so mm-hmm. of these small startup galleries before before I um, had a change of opinion about how I wanted to show things but mm-hmm. but I was mailing things out you know and and uh the 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 carriers would go out and the gallery would call and say well three of the pieces they were broken when they right. got here you know yeah. and, and it was paper so it would, if, yeah. if you broke the the plexi on the front it would right. go through the the art so I thought well what can I how can I do this so that it, nobody would you couldn't damage it. Make it you know? proof somehow. Because <laughs> yeah. I wanted to send it in frames because I was trying uh-huh. to make things so that they were as inexpensive for... I wanted to make, make artwork at that this, for this whole 10, 
like 15 year time period I was doing that, that, that was inexpensive enough that a, art, a, a student could go in and go, I could either get a keg of beer and throw a party this weekend, or I could buy my first piece of art. Yeah. And, and I sold a lot of artwork to kids that, that ended up, you know, like sending me pictures of a, of what they bought above their bed or in their living room and, and saying exactly that. This is the first piece of art I yeah. ever bought. Yeah, wow. cool. So, so, but anyhow, these rugs were something that you could, it was harder to damage in, in, in transit. And <laughs> and I, this place, they were making them fairly inexpensively for yeah. me, and they did a quick turnaround. They were they were in Kentucky, and I just had to send them a, a computer image. Yeah. And they were like, you know, we make baseball rugs in baseball season. <laughs> like perfect. <laughs> uh, basketball rugs in basketball season. Yeah. Football rugs in football season. Don't call us in football season. Right. We're really busy. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, I'd send them stuff, on, especially in all the off off sports season mm -hmm. times i'd send them these pieces of art and and they kind of got into it because yeah. i think it was kind of like you know you can only make so many um cleveland indian yeah right baseball before rugs something. before you start <laughs> you know really getting bored with yeah. it and so you know it's it's like i knew i'd send them stuff and they'd call me to talk about it and, and you could <laughs> tell that there was like maybe somebody snickering in the background yeah, yeah. listening in and <laughs> and they'd be going okay now this one where you have two birds that are like shooting guns at each other <laughs> yeah. and one of them's wearing a cowboy hat what color brown did you want that yeah. cowboy hat to be you know you calibrate the green and yeah. they said oh the crazy guy from from hollywood yeah. guess what he sent us today <laughs> uh, you know that's what that was happening and they and they did a really great job they made yeah. I, I ended up doing like 90 images and um I, I and i could make them one at a time so mm -hmm. most of them there's only one of them yeah yeah and uh and um, that's how the rugs ended. Yeah. And it was great because you could put them on the ground and people right. could walk on them. Or, yeah. And then know. the video part was just... And the video uh, part was... another little corner. Because <laughs> uh, they're kind of still images with a subtle kind of shift in... <laughs> I was... Yeah, I was... I, I, I was... I was experimenting with screensaver ideas at the time. <laughs> Perfect. And I was looking for something that, you know, yeah. you could have on your screen and it would just sit there for maybe four or five minutes and then all yeah. of a sudden it would it would spaz out for yeah. 30 for 10 seconds and then it would <laughs> go back to normal and then maybe it would do some part of it would melt and yeah. then it would come back and it, it would take like 15 or 30 minutes for a cycle and and so um so I was using the same imagery to do that mm -hmm. and then they just kind of looked good together <laughs> on the wall and yeah. and when you put when you put multiples on the wall I don't know how many are in the show, either a dozen yeah. or 18 or something, but it's kind of, kids kind of like it because they, yeah. they kind of sit there and wait for something to happen because there's always something going on, yeah. like either some guy's bow tie is, is spinning like a propeller or, uh -huh. or, um, or a, a, another bald-headed guy is, is swallowing his cigar and right. then smoke comes out his ears and then another cigar reappears or... Or a robot behind a chair reaches out and grabs somebody yeah. from the rug next to him and pulls him into yeah. behind the chair on his rug. So, yeah. so there's like this kind of like accidental ongoing story. Yeah. Had you considered putting the rugs and the videos on the floor, or would the videos be something to trip over? Yeah, <laughs> like could the videos my go house, to the floor there's, too? There's filthy versions all of them. The floor. <laughs> <laughs> because because a couple of them are like on the entrance way to the to the front door or the or out of the garage, uh -huh. and so people wipe their feet on them before they right. come in. And on the yeah. video, on the video, you mean? Oh, and <laughs> <laughs> on the video, that'd be good. Yeah. That's another technology. I, I, when that rug technology yeah. comes out, <laughs> yeah. I want video that. rugs. I'm yeah. signing yeah. up. Touch screen rugs, <laughs> man. Yeah, uh, and the orchestrions are very cool with the bird calls and various things. And last night, you you sang <laughs> a a song that comes at the end of Human Highway, um, which and there you, Devo has a few songs in there: Worried Man and Hey Hey My My, which was um, you guys did it. I mean, Neil Young wrote it, but you guys yeah, did think, it first. I right? think we we might have performed it yeah. before he ever performed it. Yeah, but yeah. we'd have to call him up right now and, find <clears throat> and him ask him for that. But I think yeah. that's true. Yeah, I think that's what he he kind of mumbled when we yeah. were, when he gave us the song to to listen to, yeah. and he started showing us the chords and stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of connections with Neil Young with um, Russ Never Sleeps that was like written on your 
diapers <laughs> or bougie boogie boys. Yeah, you know? um, um, <laughs> to pay for the first. Right. Yeah. Well, we're talking a lot. Had, yeah. To pay for the first <laughs> Devo film, uh-huh. Jerry and I started a, a graphic design shop in uh, downtown Akron, mm-hmm. and we called Unit Services, and we kept it going just long enough to have three thousand dollars profit, which is what we needed to buy film stock and yeah. and rent cameras for um, to shoot the first film. So we. We closed down the, the company after we made. But one of the jobs we had was for um, a rust-proofing company. Uh-huh. And we came up with the slogan, Rust Never Sleeps, for yeah. them, and made it in rusty letters. And uh, I was screening T-shirts for them. I'd talk mm-hmm. to them. And so I was doing that in the basement of this house I lived on. on and um, I'd bought just enough shirts for the amount they had ordered, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't have any extra. So I, was, I had to screen on a couple of my shirts, you yeah. know, the... the to test, try out the screen, points, you know, yeah. to make sure. And so when I ran out of things to screen, I, I, I screened it on the back of a pair of underpants yeah. I had. <laughs> and so um, when we performed uh, Hey, Hey, My, My for um, Human Highway, uh, that's the underwear I just happened to be. Yeah. <laughs> Boogie Boy was sitting in a playpen with just a diaper yeah. and uh, – keyboard and i don't think i i don't know if i had a shirt on or not i think yeah. you have a shirt that says devo on oh okay yeah. you're right and the yeah, other yeah. guys all had um sex pistol shirts because they yeah. had just <laughs> right, bro- right. we had just met the yeah. sex pistols like a week or so before that they had just broken up when uh-huh. they came over and hang hung out with us the last night that they were still the sex pistols yeah and uh they had some shirts they gave us yeah so, so um neil was really fascinated with them too so he he, he took my <laughs> my uh never mind the bollocks shirt i was like you can have it like, I need that. and, and yeah. uh I, I wore a devo shirt but yeah. but he i was wearing that those underpants mm-hmm. and, to make a short story long and, right and he, he called up a couple it. weeks later and said can i use that for the yeah. title of a film and we just started laughing yeah said, of course <laughs> yeah yeah wow did you ever use sleep never rests Sleep never rusts. That's a good. That's <laughs> you know. that's a whole nother thought. I like yeah. that idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so with the orchestrions, um, there are three up there. Are there are there many more? Like yeah, I'm, talk to I'm, I'm in different <clears throat> stages on about ten other ones mm-hmm. I'm working on. I, I just you know it's like. I've written, you know, music for like maybe 180 films and TV yeah. shows and video games and maybe six or 700 TV commercials, mm-hmm. which I actually enjoyed at one time. And, at uh, one time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. I, I found out with TV commercials, which I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not. I found out you could put subliminal messages in yeah. them. And it was, it was, to me, that was like... I, I felt like I was playing this really great prank on yeah. people then. You know, it's, it's like people like Malcolm McLaren were my friends back then. So I, I enjoyed. I, I was kind of into the whole prank thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw a clip of the the We Smell Sausage, <laughs> which is a good one. <laughs> which is a good one. Are there other ones with where you were? It was either backward there's a, masking. There's a lot or, of stuff. It's like yeah. it's like um. You just have to. You just have to be. Diligent, play the and, records and backwards, it, yeah, and, and just try things. And it's like, it's imp- it's really hard to 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 guess. You know, you start figuring out what words yeah. turn into when they're backwards. But I think very few people, if you gave them a choice of things that uh, Jesus loves you right. in reverse, would be I, we smell sausage. Probably right. they probably wouldn't pick that right. hardly ever. They would always pick something right. else. And it's a certain inflection, right? We smell sausage. Or yeah, something like yeah. That. yeah. For all of you who some people have apps where they can flip Reverse things it. that are sampled backwards on their phone. Yeah, try it out, kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and some new stuff. You have a, a new box set, the Mutant Flora. So yes. What's correct. what was the seed for that? And what's the what's the seed? That's maybe that's the appropriate word for it. <laughs> or um, are there no seeds in meat and plants? Well, okay. Well, in what what my what my life consists of mm-hmm. is, I get up at five thirty and, um, I have some kids that go to school really early, and then, I go, to my studio, about two hours or three hours before. Everybody else shows up, mm-hmm. and um, it, that's the time where I can do things f- for myself, mm-hmm. and I do it on my own. And I write, I've written 
oh god i could i probably have like 50 box sets but mm -hmm. but uh I, I write music for myself and and these these were a collection of uh pieces of music that i named after artwork that i'd done where i'd taken flowers and uh made them into beautiful mutants mm -hmm. and so um this company mvd who had put out um a, a Devo film called Hardcore Devo. It was mm -hmm. our, our last tour we ever did, and we and we played songs in that tour that that we'd only ever some of them we'd only ever played in the basement in Akron, Ohio. Before mm -hmm. that, we'd never even played them on stage anywhere. And it was kind of like um, to me, it was like a, a career a career cap, you know, mm -hmm. to to get to do that. And uh, they they turned out to be really uh, pleasant people to work with, mm -hmm. and they called me up about doing a, a record store day release uh, last year. Mm -hmm. Not not for that, uh, and um, I had a song, and they they let me etch on the vinyl on the flip side mm -hmm. of it uh, artwork, and you know I said I want to I don't want to do music on both sides. I just want to put a song on one side, and and I just want to do artwork on the other side. And they said that's okay with us. Yeah. So um, we put that out and. And uh, they asked if I wanted to do something again. And so it was originally um, scheduled to be on Record Store Day this year, but it turned into a, a box set, and it was super complicated and really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of, you know, I didn't need to put out another record for any reason. Yeah. You know, because I, I don't make any money <coughs> off of it, you know. Mm -hmm. they, and they're just praying that they make their money back in a way, you know. Yeah. It's like, but I, I just liked, liked working with them a lot. They were really straightforward about things and and um at a certain point they they said okay we're going to take a chance and so they mm -hmm. put this record out and it just so it just came out i guess last weekend uh-huh yeah for yeah. at the same time as record store day even if it wasn't officially part mm -hmm. uh, but yeah yeah i mean um, it sounds like a no risk chance i mean to <laughs> to for them to put out a record by you would be like okay <laughs> well, you'd think. You <laughs> Not never really know. riskier. You never know. Yeah. Well, uh, anyhow, I, yeah. Um, um, for all of you that that have um, that have video radio, and you can see what we're you can see us right now. We're going to make a present. <laughs> Jennifer has a a copy of Mutant Great. Four, and she's going to present it to you right at this moment. Excellent. In Thank the middle you. of our. Uh, sure. Um, well, what I'm going what we're going to do after this is go back to Clock Tower Radio and play like a one or maybe two hour set if they let me get away with that uh, oh, cool. of music of, of you know early Devo stuff and also some stuff from films and I'll, I'll put a couple of these on yeah put some so, mutant yeah. floors in yeah yeah some mutant floors I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to say they want to hire me to DJ mutant flora because I'd love to just yeah like, that would be cool <laughs> maybe seven inches maybe in your yeah and they're and um yeah, seven inch they're they're each a different uh color uh wow, vinyl beautiful. to go with uh the mutant flora on both sides of the disc uh-huh and then um this guy that works with me that helps me lay all this stuff out uh -huh. he did a little secret uh, on the inside image nice on the inside. subliminal <laughs> subliminal secret yeah, so <laughs> nice cool and it's uh it was limited they only pressed a thousand and they're numbered so yeah wow excellent thank so. you so I hope you like them. Yeah, I already do. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Thanks. Um, and you're doing a performance of the six-sided um, organ or something? Or you have a six-sided organ. I have a six-sided keyboard. Keyboard, yeah. Yeah. And when I first saw the video, I was thinking the 5,000 fingers of Dr. Twilliker. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I was There's like, There's something wow. about it. Yeah. That, yeah. It's kind of, because okay, shooting at them, that overhead shot like yeah, that yeah. is my favorite. Yeah. It's kind of the most satisfying view, because, and, and some of the songs, I started, after I saw it like that, then I started writing songs where, like, Everybody would reach in with their right hand and uh -huh. play something right. in the right hand, and they'd all have to <laughs> trade off to their left hand. Yeah. And, and then you'd see both hands come in. and yeah. So I, I started like feeling like Busby Berkeley for a yeah, little bit right. there in the way I was writing right. music for it. But it's been an evolving uh, keyboard, actually, because uh -huh. uh, the keyboard was originally built somewhere in the early 70s as a educational 
training device mm-hmm. so that a teacher, yeah, like the 5,000 fingers, yeah. like a teacher could be listening on, on headphones and all the kids would be yeah. number each, 257. You could have up to six kids sitting there and they could all be, be playing. Yeah. And he could listen in on whoever he wanted to, but uh-huh. uh, I started writing music for six, and they were organ, they were organ keyboards uh-huh. of, of very low sonic quality. Yeah, <laughs> and um, through the years, I've, I've, um, I finally came up with the, the formula that I like. Where now, uh, they just finally became midified, so uh-huh. so I can widen the range. So I. I I even thought about I'd love to do a tour with that keyboard and just do all that. Yeah, that, yeah. Just do Mutant <laughs> Flora. Yeah. This is David Colosi on Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org, and we're in the middle of a conversation with Mark Mothersbaugh, and we were just listening to the sounds from his orchestrions. Along with this conversation, we're also doing a companion piece that I'm calling Devo Plus that'll include a lot of Devo songs, but then some of Mark's music for films and some other recordings from his new box set, which should be very exciting that are included in uh, Myopia, his museum exhibition. So let's go back to the conversation. So with the films, with, say, Dr. Seuss and the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. Twilliker and Pee-wee's Playhouse and the Rugrats and Yo Gabba Gabba, you never sort of resisted this idea that, oh, you know, this kids would love this. It was sort of something you really embraced, where other artists are sometimes very serious. No, this is too serious for kids. Um, uh, what was your, I mean, you're, you're, you and Boogie Boy are sort of this um, professional, well, I interviewed someone else, Peter Shelton, who's an artist in LA, and he called himself a professional boy. Oh. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Where do you kind of see yourself in, just in relation to, uh, I don't know, the, kids as an audience and also and that mix of kids and adults both really enjoying it yeah you know i i think a lot of because i started off the first commercial thing i did was uh Wee's playhouse the tv show mm-hmm. and i had a really good experience doing it i think it kind of <clears throat> it kind of led me on this accidental path because i was i never studied to to be a a composer for films you know Mm -hmm. and i had to learn on the job how to write music for a hundred piece orchestra but but um i think uh i think the kid thing was always kind of there and 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 boogie boy you know i liked i liked boogie boy because he was the element in devo that was that you couldn't you didn't know exactly what was going to happen on stage right. that night. Boogie Boy would speak in tongues <laughs> in the middle of uh, of, a, of the of whatever our finale was yeah. every night. And he was also very inspirational. Things he would say were, were like really inspirational somehow. I mean, uh, in a in a in a um, sincere way or something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. he was a good <laughs> guy. Know, he was really nice. He was a good kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it was just kind of nice to go into that persona. It felt. It felt good. To, it felt like an escape from, from, uh, from being overly serious about your art too. Yeah. It was, and uh, so, so you know, in doing Pee Wee's Playhouse, you, I, I kind of, I just assume that kids like everything, and that, mm-hmm. and that they're, they're open to all different kinds of music, and and I got to write in all different kinds of styles for that show. I slammed together. You know, like um, clog dancing with a uh, with a uh, punk rock and yeah. and polkas with uh, Chinese music, Asian influenced music, and and 
I, I just got to mix all these different um, things together. And, and kids were all, they, they accept it all, you know. Yeah. They're, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like when kids get older that, that you start shutting down. And that's when, when you see, um, you know, people like only liking a certain kind of rock or only liking right. a certain kind of, of uh, rap or something like yeah. that. It's, that happens when you start closing your mind down, not when you're opening it up. So, yeah. so um, I kind of enjoyed getting to stay in that, that part of my life. I think, you know, part of it was I, I was blind until I was seven, but not, not so that I couldn't function. It wasn't mm -hmm. like the world was black. It was, the world was a fog. It was uh -huh. like, it was, I couldn't see past six inches in front of my face, uh -huh. except clouds of color and fogs of color. So I never knew what, what my house looked like or what a tree looked like or any of that thing. And then I got corrective lenses. And this, it's not a, this isn't some story that, oh, he's the only person ever. This is yeah. something that's happened to probably millions of yeah, people yeah. and probably was more prevalent, you know, like 100 years ago than it, than it would be now. And it's certainly more prevalent in a third world country than it uh -huh. is. In, but, you know, we had five kids in our family and they were just trying to keep everybody in fresh diapers, I think. So mm -hmm. they missed out and they just thought I was kind of intense or crazy. <laughs> right. When I'd run up just and somebody would ring the doorbell, I'd run up and I'd grab them by the face and look and go, Grandma! <laughs> and then I would know that that, that fuzzy right. pink thing was, you know, was... That was my grandma's checkered dress yeah. moving around. So, so I, I didn't know people saw things differently. And, and so the day that I got my glasses, I got all my vision at once. That yeah. I wow. was almost eight years old. And it was, it was like this awesome way to yeah. do it, you know. I, I don't think I'd, I would want to take the responsibility of say, recommending it to people right. to try go, it out go on their years kids. Without. But I got to say... <laughs> I have no regrets of, of that being, uh, yeah. but I think that kind of made me always kind of identify with, with that early part of life where you're, uh -huh. where you don't know what things are or why yeah. they are, and, but you just kind of accept it. Yeah, you're figuring out things when you bump into them. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what that okay, is. Okay, <laughs> I'll watch out for that. The corner is sharp. <laughs> right. I know when I hit get close to that, yeah. Um, and... Uh, you were stabbed with a fork. <laughs> Say that again. You were stabbed with a fork. <laughs> uh, in, in high school, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I stabbed somebody with a fork. Oh, you stabbed. Somebody. Yeah. Okay, because um, in in the interview in the book with Adam, it's, it's, oh, he, he said he something about being stabbed with a fork. I was like, huh. <laughs> no. Uh, well, but you stabbed. I, somebody. Here's okay. what happened. It's <laughs> Please like, correct the record. <laughs> because it's like, I have to say, public school and yeah. I did not get along at all, and. And uh, I, I think I was the kid with a kick me sign on my yeah. back for for 12 years. And so this even, was even after the glasses. Yeah, even yeah. after the glasses, because they were thick. And I remember some girl telling me in second grade, she goes, why is your head shaped like a light bulb? And I went, oh, no, it is. Right. And then I then I saw cartoons where aliens had heads shaped like light bulbs and go, I'm probably one of them. <laughs> and uh, but anyhow, so. So it's like uh, I just was, you know. Then you know those people. They, they were at everybody's school. Y'all, everybody had had that person. I got to be one of them. That's yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. And um, so why am I telling you? Oh, so anyhow, so, <laughs> the fork, so the yeah, fork. it's like by the time I got to high school in 1964, mm -hmm. I thought music had just been invented to torture me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I had were, to, What were they playing for you? <laughs> I know, because I had to take keyboard lessons oh. while my friends would be outside the window right. playing and going right like the waving at me in. like like ha ha <laughs> and i'd be in there like yeah you jerks yeah and then um uh we were sitting at a dinner table with uh with uh with the five kids and my dad to keep everybody quiet he would uh -huh. put on ed's he'd put on this little he had this little portable black and white tv he'd set at the end of the tv uh -huh. and the kids would all watch <laughs> watch TV while right. they were eating and it kept us from, you know, like fighting and right. crawling on the table and stuff. It was, yeah. I can't imagine how, how horrible it was for my mom, but, sort of um, a movie babysitter, but, uh, 
Ed Sullivan came on, and he goes, and from Liverpool, England, the Beatles. And they came out and they played, um, I think I want to hold your hand. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God, what is that? And then, yeah. and then you know, we had to watch plate spinners and a uh-huh. few Topo Gigio and a few things. And then they came back again, and they played something like, she loves you, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's why I had, I've been tortured with, uh, keyboard lessons yeah. for the last five years of my life. So I could the, do that. So I could do that. Yeah. So I became obsessed with wanting to to play music then for the first time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and in, isn't in the beginning of Uncontrollable Urge, wasn't there a I Want to Hold Your Hand yeah. sort of chord I structure? Did that and, um, and John, and we played John it. Lennon yeah. approached you or something. And the first time we played, I think it was the first time we played at Max's Kansas City uh-huh. in 77, I was sitting out in a, I was sitting out in a, 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 a our econo line that we moved all our uh-huh. equipment. And we had to, we were waiting for everybody to leave the club, because you sat, you set your equipment up, I think upstairs in the very back, and you couldn't uh-huh. get it out of the club to empty it until everybody left. And I just remember John Lennon and uh, Ian Hunter uh-huh. were totally oh, yeah, drunk, yeah. and they're walking out. They're <laughs> like some of the combo. last people walking out. And, <laughs> John Lennon looks at me. I'm sitting in the passenger seat of this Econo line right in front waiting to get my stuff. And I'm like, <gasps> and he looks yeah. at me. And he, goes, he comes over and he sticks his head like yeah. right in front of my face. So our noses are touching. He's going, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's spitting on me his beer. And I'm like, okay, this is the best moment right. of my life. I can, <laughs> if I this die tonight, cool. I don't care. This is great. But he knew it was nice. the song. He saw all the things in the song that were him. It yeah. was like you know the, yeah. the opening is yeah is, is, is um, I want to hold your hand and then the yeah yeah yeahs were just a deconstructed yeah. she she loves you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyhow, so okay. so by being into the Beatles, oh, the I started combing my hair forward, <laughs> and and nobody else did at my school. They uh-huh. all combed their hair back. They were all like, <laughs> they were like greasers. Uh-huh. I guess is what you would call it. They were, yeah. they were like, you know, they had the, the rat tail comb yeah. and, the, and they put cleats on their pointy shoes. and, uh-huh. and um, So you stabbed one of them with a fork. So, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was like a target. Your hair and, sucks. And, uh, <laughs> and no, I got held down in my haircut at school. Oh, okay. Like, like they, they would drag me Classic into the restroom and, and cut my hair off. And, and wow. uh, there was uh, one week where they said, we're getting you on Wednesday or something, uh-huh. Mother's Ball. And it's like, there was nowhere to go and nowhere, to, nobody to talk to. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't tell my parents about any of this because I was embarrassed because my dad would say, well, stand up for yourself. Right, just, yeah. And You're I'm like, like oh. I weigh 78 <laughs> pounds and this kid's twice as big as yeah, me yeah. and combs his hair back. And yeah. uh, so um, I, I brought a fork with me into the bathroom (laughs) and it was a bad idea because this guy grabbed me and I went bam stabbed him with the fork and then he goes that just gave him an excuse to really give him an excuse and a fork to use against you wow so all right well I think we're out of time um so don't stab people in Woodridge High School with forks in 1967 yeah that's if you have a chance to go back yeah just just don't bring a fork I don't know what you would bring. Comb your hair back and call just, in sick that day. Just, I don't know. Just endure it for with combing your hair back for yeah. a, a while, and, and then, then you can have a, a, a five city traveling exhibition. Right. About three years later, I, I went back to visit the school because my sister asked me to come over and pick her up or something, and and the coach that had that had spanked me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because corporal punishment was big in those days. The guy who had paddled me yeah. for for combing my hair, and, and he he would put his his fingers on my forehead and between your eyebrow, and and if the hair touched his right. finger, he was allowed to to uh, give me ten whacks with a paddle. Wow. And uh, so. I remember going back, and he had his hair combed down like. Yeah, that. you're like. I'm going, you had small fingers though. I'm going, I <laughs> don't like, believe hey, it. Yeah. <laughs> He started laughing. Goes well. Things change. <laughs> things change. Uh, yeah, they yeah. do. All right. Well, thank you for making the time to share these stories. And thank you for uh, the postcard. I, I yep. happen to really like this one. It's yeah, yeah. Newton you Lang. You know him. I uh, do not. I don't either. But <laughs> in 1955, he wrote a letter to somebody. He was he got a letter from somebody named Bill Ackerson in 
Newton was living in Moscow, Iowa, apparently. Yeah. And there's a long, super boring story. Yeah, the front the, of the card is good. But the, but polar, the polar bear side recipe. of it's really great. There's a really good story about a quick frozen Alaskan Cooking polar bear. Polar bear when it pees. Uh, so um, your exhibition's at the Gray Art Gallery until July 15th. Yeah. And open today. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. It's, I think it, we're all excited. It, the whole thing changed my life. I never thought it would happen. You know, yeah. this, this curator from a, a museum. And, and, and it changed my whole opinion about museums to, to, to go out and see what it was like inside a museum. It's like museums are, you think of them as these multi-million dollar yeah. venues with multi-million dollar art collections. And they have, if you imagine they have a room with cash you know, falling yeah. out of it, and it's kind of like NPR. Or I haven't something. found it's that room it's yet. Really, like, <laughs> I'm looking. <laughs> they're like these places <laughs> where they're constantly them. trying to keep the lights on, and, and yeah. the director is really important to, to like, uh, you know, getting the community to to um, help fund the the gal- uh, the museums. It's important, and they're always staffed with these people that are super amazing. Yeah. that are really excited about art, and they just. And they're there to help set up your show, and mm-hmm. it's just such a. Um, I felt so honored to, that this got to happen yeah. to me. I, I it totally changed this this fear of thinking I was going to be in the world of uh, record companies, and then I right, yeah. I found out I was with some of my favorite people I've ever met. Yeah. So it's well, it's great when the the work is so much fun and so much and so great to see, and you're so sort of personable and super excited about doing it. So yeah. Thanks for making the work. Thanks. Thanks Come on out and see it, everybody. Come out and see it. It's the last show ever of of the retrospective. Yeah, and for more information, you can go to grayartgallery.nyu.edu. And this is David Colosi. I've been talking to Mark Mothersbaugh on Clock Tower Radio, clocktower.org.